This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It seems certain that Manchester United would either give Man City a guard of honour or watch them win the title in front of us. Instead, we left the blue half of Manchester with them crying. A good day. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 28 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us as we revel in what's probably the best result since Alex Ferguson retired almost five years ago now. City are laying before half-time and singing stand-up for the champions. And, and to be honest, they probably got to be on 5-0 in front before the break. United were terrible in the first half, and um, and that's including every player to be honest. Second half was a different story, and hopefully a turning point, Jack, for a number of players who we'll move on to momentarily. But first, I mean, the perfect, perfect way to win a derby, and the perfect way to stop City winning the title in a once-in-a-generation opportunity for them as a club. I mean, stop them winning it temporarily, obviously. After what was the worst possible situation, it looked like it was going to happen at half-time. The, at 90 minutes, it was the best possible scenario we could have had out of that game. Not only did we win and obviously stop City winning the title, but to do it like that in such heartbreaking fashion was just great to see. It was as bad as we were in the first... And actually, to be fair, I don't think we were quite as bad as a lot of people were making out, but as as bad as we were in the first half, we were just brilliant for uh, the majority of the second half. And and even the fact that City probably should have had at least one, probably two penalties of Ashley Young maybe getting sent off and the De Gea, incredible save from Aguero. Everything, all of that just made it so much better because it just meant it was so much more heartbreak for Manchester City, which is just what we all want to see, really. Yeah, the the more penalties that should have been given and weren't given, the the better for me. I mean, that's the perfect way to, to, to win a derby and pretty much every game in football, to be honest. However much you can anger the opposition, it, it's, it's brilliant. And really, it's... a uh, it's a result that has very little bearing on the season, to be honest, aside from the fact that United are now in a in a very, very strong position to finish second. But it, it does have wider ramifications, you would hope, for Pogba, Sanchez, Mourinho and and the team as a whole. But on Mourinho to start with, before we move on to the others who all of whom all of whom were rubbish in the first half and, and amazing <laughs> in the second. Um but Mourinho, I mean, going from sixth last year, 
albeit with a with the Europa League and a League Cup win, to second this season may have, have just about papered over certain cracks, especially if we win the FA Cup in the United side. But that half of football changes a huge amount. It's, it's yeah, ahead of winning any trophy, it's the most important half we've had under Mourinho. Um, and it's a huge achievement on so many levels. Firstly, coming from Tuna behind to, to any opposition is amazing and doing it away from home again in the Premier League is amazing. But add to that, City hadn't lost a game in which they'd scored first this season, hadn't lost a game at the Etihad since 2016, and Guardiola apparently has never lost from a two-goal lead. It's just an, an amazing, amazing turnaround. Forget the fact that it stops them winning the league temporarily. Forget the fact that it was Paul Pogba, it was Alexis Sanchez, it's Marino. It's just an unbelievable well, and thing also, to do. It's also the first time Guardiola has ever conceded three goals in back-to-back games in his entire managerial career as well. Yeah, there's there's so many things that I mean, it's generally record-breaking. Um, I saw another one as well, where even though United's defence has been so questionable at times this season, I think we're the only team in um, Europe's top five leagues to not concede more than two in a game this season. Wow, I didn't even know that. Stuff. That's incre- that's pretty pretty incredible stat. Uh, yeah, like you said, some of the defending hasn't been great, uh, and a lot of that is probably down to David de Gea as well. To be fair, but it's still yeah. <laughs> very good in a season to go through and not can never concede more than two goals. Uh, you know, even for the majority of the season at this point, that's, a, that's pretty impressive from our defence. It, it, you know, at half time, especially when you take into consideration all those things of Pep's never lost a game from 2 0 at half time, they see hadn't lost to the Etihad in almost a year and a half, and we just looked pretty terrible in the first half. When you take all of those things into consideration, it just makes that second half comeback even better and even more improbable as well, because. All, all of those things taken into consideration, there seemed that like there was absolutely no way we were coming back to that. And it just seemed like a case of how many goals are Man City going to win by. There, there were times in the first half when, especially in the last the last half of the first half, uh, for the last sort of 20 minutes or so, where City seemed to be creating good chances every single time they went forward. And it, I mean, they could have easily been four or five new up at half time. And honestly, especially when the camera panned to... Uh, extremely angry Sir Alex Ferguson sitting in the stands in the Etihad <laughs> I just couldn't help thinking that this yeah. is going to be a repeat of the 6-1 or, or something of, of that uh, but, kind of but magnitude even worse the with them, line. even worse with them winning the league at the end of it yeah exactly and it, it's the fact that yes it's an improvement on last season but had City won the league against us with a dominating performance it just would have been so so damaging for Mourinho and as it is it turns out to be probably the most positive United fans can be about Mourinho because to do that is is a huge is a huge thing to do and you can doubt a lot of things about Mourinho his character his style of play the way he treats his players in public Luke Shaw um, and others um, but in terms of motivating his players at half time Smalling came out post match and said. Um, Mourinho emphasised we don't want to be the clowns who are sort of standing there watching them get their trophy. And, I mean, clowns? I mean, it's 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 an amazing thing to, to get those players from what they look like after 20 minutes in the first half. Going into half-time looking atrocious. Looking not like a team, but like individuals. Pogba Sanchez playing for themselves. To let them to come out and straight away do that, you can doubt that, but Mourinho's 
fantastic at motivating his players at half-time and showed that. And we often hasn't seen that. But he's now beaten Pochettino, beaten Wenger, beaten Antonio Conte, beaten Klopp and beaten Guardiola now all in one season. The big game record has improved so much this season, uh, especially in the second half of the season. The first few big games this season won amazing. But since since Christmas, really, it's been a big turnaround in those games. And I think I remember Frank Lampard saying as well that the one thing Mourinho has always been brilliant at is getting his players through tough times. He always said that whenever Mourinho's Chelsea teams were going through tough times, Mourinho was always the one that was motivating the players and getting them back to the level where they should be. And it seems like he did exactly that at half-time. How much I would love to be to have been a fly on the wall in that half-time dressing room, uh, the United dressing room, because that must have been one hell of a team talk. Yeah. Um, because uh, whatever whatever was said, it made a massive difference. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the important thing Smalley said was, he said there wasn't any ranting, there wasn't any raving, any shouting. It was just... It, it reminded me of the, the Fergie one at half-time in the, in the 99 Champions League final where you don't want to walk past that yeah. trophy and not be able to touch it, not be able to kiss it, not be able to lift it in the air. It was that just calm, quiet. You don't want to watch your main rivals having dominated you all season, beaten you in December, Old Trafford, humiliated you, go up and lift that trophy in front of their own fans, winning it at the earliest opportunity. Um, and that shows the value of not the hairdryer, but motivating people. And it, it, I don't think it will be a complete watershed moment. I don't think it will be a complete turnaround in United's fortunes, in Mourinho's fortunes at United. But I do think it, it's a very important moment. It shows what, this United side can do and also importantly it is a second example in the space of five days showing City's major weakness which is they are such a good side and they have had so few times this season where they haven't been leading they haven't been comfortable that when one goal goes in against a big side who can continue that pressure Liverpool and Man United that when that first goal goes in they they don't know how to deal with it. And maybe they will learn to do that. But it has showed to to the country and to and to the world of football that City have their weaknesses and that United can exploit them. Absolutely. It it's kind of shocking really to see the way that City conceded goals and clusters in the last few days against both us and Liverpool because you don't really expect that from any championship winning team. Um and you know, it's easy for us to sit here and knock City because they have been just incredible this season. Um, but it is a, it's kind of a strange trait, I guess, of of the team that we've seen. But, I mean, for us, looking at it in terms of United and where we might go from here, I think one of the biggest things, hopefully, that will come out of this is just belief from the team. Because, per, like, personally, even as a, as a fan, it's been easy at times this season to think, well, we're never going to win the league in the next five years as long as, long as Guardiola is at City. Why are players going to choose us over City? Why? How, how are we ever going to get onto a level where we can compete with City if they're breaking the points total every season? Because it has just almost seemed like an unstoppable force at times. And I think as players, you probably feel that as well. So I think just the belief that actually we can match City and we can beat City going forward is huge. So there's that, there's that side of it. But also, like you said, I think just regaining some some kind of confidence in this team going forward and, and in the season as well. You know, we haven't we haven't done one of these in, in a while. We've obviously haven't done one since the awful, awful game against Sevilla. But, you know, with going out against Sevilla and then potentially losing or seeing the Man City win the title against us, 
that could have wrecked any kind of positive feeling we, we would have had after this season because the season hasn't been perfect, but it hasn't been a total disaster either. But the season ending potentially with going out against Sevilla in the last 16, losing the title to Man City against Man City, and then so let's say we went out in the semi-finals of the FA Cup, that has the potential to completely ruin any kind of positive feeling you might have had about a season. Uh, but this, I think, just hopefully stops that from coming in so much. And hopefully it will be a turnaround and it will just spur us on now to have a good end to the season with hopefully more trophies and then a good summer. And who knows? Who knows where we might be this time next year? One of the most important turning points could be Paul Pogba. First half was a classic Pogba big game performance. I'll criticise him first. I mean, sloppy in possession, giving the ball away two or three times in that half. Didn't really create anything. Um, some great turns, some great holding the ball up. But then what he often was doing is is a classic Pogba thing where he does brilliantly to either great get, get the ball back or control the ball, holds off two players and then goes and loses it by doing something stupid, like a, an unnecessary step over or holding the ball for too long and not releasing it. Um, and he wasn't getting back in defence. Um, the second thing I'll say is the only reason everyone was so critical of him is because of how much he costs, and that's expected, yes. But he was one. He was. He had a poor performance, but singling him out for that as the worst player on the pitch isn't right because he probably wasn't. He was not good enough for his reputation, but neither was anyone on the pitch, and it. it constantly happens and it's it's grating but second half comes out he has had he was all right against Swansea he's had two poor months you would say and included in that two shocking performances against Spurs and against Newcastle and coming out of half time yes Marino is motivating him he's had a lot of pressure on him before the City game he's had a lot of attention on him he's had people calling even Gary Neville has jumped on the blue hair is ridiculous um, I mean, it's almost as if the, the colour of your hair doesn't actually have any impact on, on Pogba's ability, given that he came out and scored <laughs> two goals, shockingly. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, but he comes out of half-time and takes the game by the scruff of the neck. And Pogba's had good performances. Everton on New Year's Day, um, there was one at Stoke about two weeks after that. Uh, Swansea earlier in the season, when we were winning regularly 4-0, Pogba was playing well every game. But I have never seen Pogba in the United shirt control a half and take control a game like that and te- and really as I just said take it by the scruff of the neck and be the man to haul United back into the game never seen that from Pogba in 20-21 months of him at United and it's the first time we've seen it and I very much hope it continues as great as some of Pogba's performances have been for United I think the one thing we haven't really seen from him is him being the one that is the catalyst for the team playing well often the team plays well and Pogba follows, or the team doesn't play well and Pogba follows. Um, and I, I mean, I guess in some ways that could speak to how important he is for us in that it could be that when Pogba plays well, the team plays well, and when Pogba doesn't play well, the team doesn't play well. But either way, I, it's pretty rare that we've seen Pogba, like you said, kind of drag the team forward on his own, as he seemed to do in that second half when the team wasn't playing well and it seemed to be Pogba almost on his own that was forcing the team forward. And he really did take the game by the scruff of the neck. It was it was a brilliant half from him, especially those first 20 minutes of that second half. He was just phenomenal, controlling the game. So influential in every single one of our attacks. And the two goals just kind of topped it off, really. It 
it's the kind of performance we we've always known. I think that Pogba's capable of. Um, and for me, one of the biggest things was that they didn't seem. Maybe it was uh, because of the situation that we were in, and we really had nothing to lose at that point. But it, there seemed to be no fear in his play or anyone else's play in, on our team. It was just they almost seemed to be freer than they've been all season to be able to just go out and play however they want to almost. Um, and I, I, for me, one of the things that Pogba has always struggled with in big games is almost trying too hard uh, and trying to do everything himself. And that's why he gets into trouble a lot of times with try, winning the ball. As you said, often gets the ball in some really good positions, does one or two great things with it, but then tries to do three, four or five great things with it all in a row and, and ends up losing, losing the ball. Um, so it was really nice to see him actually keep things a bit more simple in some ways, um, do the simple things well, and, and then some of the more intricate stuff can come out later. And just, I mean, seeing some of the runs that he was making into the box reminded me so much of his of his Juventus days. And it, it's what we've wanted to see. He said after the game, Michael Carrick has been a big influence on that. But it was great to see him actually make some of those runs that we saw him make so often for Juve, and we haven't really seen him make that much for United. And his, his, his second goal, the, the header from the Sanchez cross... He's first, I mean, firstly, the, the, we'll move on to Real yeah. in a second, actually, so we won't talk about assist yet, but Pogba's finish for that is, is good. But the second header, or the first header, the second goal, is a is a wonderful piece of skill. The ball's going behind him. He, I don't know what he's doing with his body. He looks like a giraffe who's like on <laughs> ice skates or something, but it's brilliant. Um, it's exactly what you want. Yeah, not only does he put it right in the corner, he heads it down as well. Yeah. It's so important. It's, it's a perfect header, perfectly accurate, and it's behind him. And the run is so perfectly timed. And we'll move on to Sanchez with that because the assist from Sanchez is just sublime. So perfectly timed, making sure Pogba's not offside. It is just behind him, but I mean, you can't blame him for that. <laughs> and Alexis was the only player to play a part in, in all three of the goals. And this is the this is what we expected from him. A, a player who, even when he's having a bad game, because apart from the assists, it wasn't an amazing Alexis Sanchez performance. But he's the player who manages to create three goals in a not amazing performance. I mean, that is the kind of game changer that we thought we were signing from Arsenal on a free. And that's why we were so excited. And what's very funny is it has come against Man City, who he likely turned down to join Man United. And it's, I mean, <laughs> City won't care because they weren't playing with Kevin De Bruyne. And, and had they, he probably would have, would have been even better than Alexis. But... It's just it's just funny, and they will. I'm sure Guardiola will be looking at Sanchez, thinking, "Yeah, I mean, it would be quite nice to have him in your team if you if you can see that every week." Which is hopefully what we will now see as well, because for Pogba it's been a long time, and Sanchez has only just come. And to be honest, there's been less pressure on on Sanchez than Pogba because he's not always. I mean, he is always on social media, but it's more filming his dogs rather than himself dancing. And the pressure's not been on. And he's been allowed to have a few bad performances, but now is the time when you, we really expect him to start doing this constantly and hopefully it can be in exactly the same way Pogba should be. Yeah, hopefully this will be the start of a good run for Alexis to the end of the season. Like you said, it, this was this was exactly the kind of performance I expected from Alexis when he signed. He wasn't particularly great for most of the game. In the first half, I think he had the ball probably less than five times. And when he did get the ball, it was again trying too many intricate things and not just doing the simple things and keeping the ball and sustaining attacks. And to be fair, in the second half, he wasn't always that much better. It was still losing the ball a lot. He was still trying to do the hard things a lot of the time. But what we saw was exactly what we thought we were getting when we signed him. And that is that when he does try those intricate things and those they come off, that that's what he's able to produce. And then we saw that with 
involvement in all three of the goals. Two obviously two assists, and it's like you said, especially for the second Pogba goal, that cross was just brilliant. So perfectly timed, so perfectly weighted. This is what we want from Alexis. It is game those game changing moments. I don't mind if he loses the ball twenty times a game. If it means that three times three times a game, he's also going to pop up and create a goal for us. You know. Um, which is what we thought we were getting when we signed him and he hasn't been able to produce it so far but hopefully we can see a bit more of that till the end of the season because you look at our attack on paper and it's up there with anyone else in the league and arguably in Europe as well if you take Sanchez, Lukaku any one of Martial, Rashford, Lingard with Pogba in behind that is a world class attack by any means and we just haven't seen it for a lot of the season Yeah, I mean the thing is attacking players they're going to lose the ball a lot and generally, the best ones are the ones who lose the ball the most. De Bruyne has lost the ball, I think, more times than anyone else in the Premier League this season. Sanchez is close yeah. behind. It's just it's just part of, of trying to do so many me- amazing means, things every game. It means you see them pull off exactly the kind of ball that Sanchez did for Pogba's header. But moving on, Diana Herrera has come in for his first start in, I think, six weeks. And that's a surprise inclusion, I think. Most people thought we'd go for McTominay, but... Assist for the goal was, I mean, that's one of the best things I've seen from Ander Herrera. Up there with his little toe poke for Martial's winner against Everton in the FA Cup semi-final under Van Gaal. That was, that assist is just, it's, it's magic. Yeah. Just off his chest like that to, to react and make it a perfect ball to, to Paul Popper. And it's just, it's the composure to do that and, and the the vision to do that as well, to, to have that in your mind that you can chest it down. It's a moment of genius who hasn't had a, had a very good season and isn't the kind of player you expect that from, to be honest. No, he's not at all. I don't I don't associate in really delicate little touches like that with Herrera, but it, it was a, a brilliant piece of play. Like, like you said, the vision to see that was ridiculous. There's not... When he when he chested the ball, I was I was thinking in my head, oh, I was just going to chest it down and, and volley it at goal. I on, I mean, I don't know. I didn't even really realize Pogba's run uh, when I was there, but he obviously did, and it was a brilliant uh, chest down to him. And like you said, a very good finish as well. Um, Herrera, I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily because it was Herrera that was there, but I think just having a three man midfield, we saw the benefit of it in the second half, especially for for Pogba's sake. Um, but Herrera did a very good job for for most of that second half, I must say. Him and Matic, along with Pogba, to be fair as well, defensively covered a lot of ground. Um, I thought it was interesting what what Mourinho said after the game as well about the midfield in general, in that they weren't doing much wrong actually with um, in in midfield in the first half. And maybe I wouldn't necessarily agree that they did nothing wrong in the first half, but I definitely don't think they played terribly. You know, I think. I'd put most of that blame on on Smalling and Bailly at the back, who were just all over the place. Um, but it was the the way the midfield worked together in the second half was brilliant. They hunted in packs. They didn't. Herrera didn't do his stupid one man press maybe at all in the second half. If he did, it was only once or twice. Yeah. So it well, wasn't really that important. Um, so it was great discipline showed by all of them. And when we did get the ball, they showed the kind of intent and. Also, but also the kind of ball security that we haven't seen from play- players like Herrera and Pogba in a lot of big games. Yeah, absolutely. Herrera's one-man press was, was nowhere to be seen, and that's a delight. And what's also a delight is Ander Herrera's scrappy. Um, I mean, if you're being kind to him, you call it tenacious. If you weren't, you'd call him... Um, I don't know what the word would be. Probably not suitable for, for a podcast which doesn't include explicit <laughs> on, uh, on on the little label on iTunes. The classic word is piss-boiler. And the biggest one of the bat. I think if he stayed on for another, if the game had gone on for another ten minutes and Herrera hadn't been subbed off, I mean, 
City would have had two, three players sent off. Exactly what we needed. Time wasting. Um, just getting yeah. in their faces so much. And Pop, to be fair to Pop, Pop was actually doing the same thing. Um, with Fernandinho, yeah, the, the tackle on behind on Otamendi was uh, yeah. a, a funny moment. It was it, it was it was the perfect thing you want in a derby, and you saw Gar- Gary Neville was loving it. It was a, a newfound revelation for him. He hasn't seen a derby like that for a while, and it, it's true, and perfect from Herrera, and exactly why he is Mourinho's man in, in those occasions. But uh, I mean, another funny Gary Neville moment was the Hayes stop. Um, you just hear Martin Tyler's doing the, the older fantastic save from David Day and you just hear Neville in the background go, kiss him, Ashley. <laughs> um, as, as Young looks at him just in very much thankfulness. Brilliant. I mean, I'm, I, I would kiss David Day for, for that save. Just fantastic. And you, you need your keepers to come out with those brilliant saves in big games. But the, I mean, Day just does it in every game. It's it's a weekly occurrence, that kind of... It's not... That save is not... Ama- it's not unbelievable. It's not like... A, there was a save we saw a few weeks. I can't remember who it was against from De Gea, which was just, um, oh my God, um, bre- actually breathtaking. And you don't get saves like that often. This was just not the best save you've ever seen, but exactly what you need from a world-class keeper and something you wouldn't get from even Edison, uh, from from Loris Carriers, from Czech. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't one of De Gea's uh, best saves. Probably won't make it onto any De Gea highlight reels, but still in its own right was a very, very good save. And just the situation of it as well, um, for for me, the best thing about the save was that he tipped it over the bar rather than just pushing it out, because it would have been very easy to just parry that down into the six yard box. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was the entire game. It yeah. felt like a a proper derby, whatever whatever that might mean. It's kind of hard to explain what a proper derby is in, until you really see one. Uh, it's one of those kind of things, you know. But this was definitely one of them in that second half. The last twenty minutes were very fiery. Uh, you know, players getting in each other's faces. You could you could sense the urgency in both teams. Um, and just, I think the the game was so hectic. And so often in these derbies recently, we we've seen it just be men. Uh, we've seen it just be defense against attack most of the time, and just City attacking United, who are sitting really deep. And it was nice to see finally a Manchester derby for the first time in ages, where both teams are going at each other one hundred percent forward and back the game was so open for that last 20 minutes or so it started getting heated like you said Herrera being the piss boiler that he is basically um, I mean watching Jesus stupidly foul him in what was it like the 92nd minute or something straight after we'd just had a different free kick was was brilliant it's just what we needed uh, right at that moment yeah. Um, yeah it was very good game management in the end from United and it was a, a real proper derby and it was it was great fun to watch even if it did shred my nerves. At <laughs> yeah. Um, there are, there are, so actually first, we'll go on the positives of Chris Smalley. Third goal in Manchester derbies. And in fact, the last one was, <laughs> the the first one he ever got was in the Community Shield 2011, um, where United were 2-0 down at half time. Nanny scored a double. Um, and Smalley scored the winner. And I think also City's, goals came in in a similar way and our goals came in a similar way so it's a weird comparison but we won 3-2 that's smallest first one and then I think he scored in the 4-2 under Van Gaal but I saw a very good line on Twitter where it said Chris Morley is the guy that tries to be a hero for putting out your house fire after clumsily setting it alight in the first place (laughs) and to be fair he didn't try to be the hero he was the hero but it's it is it's six years since he let Vincent Company score in April 2012 to basically win City the, their first Premier League title with terrible marking 
and he is still making the same mistakes six years on as a sit he's almost in his ninth Manchester United season um he's still making the same mistakes and United still have the same need to have a better defender he's he, he can't be a starter how many goals he scores in the Manchester derby sure play him up front but he, he's not a starting man United center back no he's 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 definitely not it was as soon as company scored I was actually I was watching it on uh, on an NBC stream most of the game and the and the commentator on NBC literally said as that corner was about to be taken that company's the one to watch here though it's always a big threat from corners remember six years ago and then literally exactly the same thing happened straight afterwards it was just and as soon as the goal went in you just knew you knew that it was, it was small in marketing yeah. and you knew they was just a complete carbon copy basically of that goal in 2012 it was oh it was all it was an awful feeling Eric Bailly is a great centre-back we've seen that and yet he was made to look terrible by Chris Smalling. You saw Gary Neville said you could drive a bus through that pairing, let alone Raheem Sterling. And it's true that the gaps between them, given how good City are at carving... I mean, City could carve you open if you were standing next to each other. And you're leaving that kind of gap for them. No wonder we were 2-0 down. Could have been 5-0 down by half-time. It's not surprising. And, it, and it's Chris Smalling. Yeah, there, there was a moment... I can't remember exactly what minute it was in. It was towards the end of the second half where Fernandinho played a long through ball into David Silva after Sterling had come short. And Bailly follows Sterling. And Smalling just stands there watching David Silva run 10 yards away from him without even making any attempt to, to go over and cover the space. It was just... The, the the thing that bugs me about Smalling is that one-on-one as a defender, he's pretty good. He's very, very strong. He's very quick. But he just has no ability to read the game a lot of the time. And he just seems... I don't even know how to explain it sometimes. It's just so many basic errors, I think, that frustrate you a lot when you watch it. And there was, there was another one where Sterling had already been given two chances which he should have scored, and you would expect him to score, and he bloomed over. And actually, I think Sterling had a pretty good first half apart from those two chances um, for, for all the criticism yeah, he was getting. He, yeah, I mean, he was part of the reason they were creating so many um, with his movement. <laughs> and the, part of the reason was Sterling's got those two chances already. And then you see him free in the penalty area. Chris Smalling marking no. Chris Smalling standing on the edge <laughs> of the six-yard box, and Sterling's on the penalty um, penalty spot. And you think, what are you doing? I mean, it's so clear. And obviously, it's very much harder when you're actually on the pitch playing against one of the best teams in the world. But there's a reason that United need good defenders, and that's because we're playing against good teams. And Chris Smalling isn't one of them. But we must move on because we've spoken about this for about half an hour now. But City final word is. Um, Seeing some some Guardiola weaknesses, it's the same as Barca. Opposition gets the ball and starts to break, just put in a little tiny foul. And we won't talk about that ref for too long. Um, we'll just laugh at the fact that he he helped United, which was <laughs> which was a strange um, change in terms of Martin. <laughs> he was basically handed Chelsea a title back in like two thousand nine. And but it's it's a constant thing with City and with Barca in the Champions League where. No, that no ref ever calls them up on it, and City could have had six, seven yellows by half time, to be honest. But they they weren't given, and I know why they do it. And t- to be fair, as much as I hate them doing it, I w- it was such a good game because of Martin Atkinson's lenience at times. And yes, that meant he got decisions wrong. Ashley Young, second, I don't think the handball was a penalty because it's not deliberate handball, um, but. I do think that the the second young one is a penalty, probably, and is a yellow, potentially a red. But he got some things wrong. He should have booked some City players. For example, um, 
Gabriel Jesus should have been booked way earlier than he was, but that leniency allowed the game to be as good as it was. Um, but City, as I said earlier, this year's been so simple. Obviously, it's not easy to win so many games, but when you are winning so many games, it just carries on and carries on and carries on. They were unbeaten for 16, 17 games, winning 16, 17 games in a row. Um, but to cope with going down to your rivals when it's been so... Everyone thinks you're going to win the league against them. To cope with that, I don't think they've they've got it. And they haven't got that mental strength yet, which is why I think they're struggling in the, in the Champions League and they struggled against Liverpool. It's exactly the same reason. And it, it's nice that they have that weakness. Yeah, it's very nice they have that weakness. And it's, it's good that it's being exposed now, finally, as well. It took long enough for, for everyone to kind of realise... Um, and and like like we said, at, at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, this this was a small victory for United because City are still going to go on to win the league. We're still probably going to finish second, it looks like, and and no, not have the best season that we wanted. But it does show off some weaknesses in in the Guardiola team, and I think I kind of knew that we weren't going to set up in a similar way to what Liverpool have done when they've beaten C, even though that's kind of been proven as the best way to go about beating them. Um, but it was nice to see us in the second half kind of use that tactic. And now I feel like teams do have a better blueprint of how of how you best combat City. And it, and it is to go at them. It is to, to really put the pressure on them because it seems like they can't really deal with it that well. And C- City are probably the best team in the league at breaking a high press. But the high press is, it seems like, probably the best way of disrupting their rhythm and stopping them from being so potent going forward. They can't, they can't handle it. They are brilliant on the ball. Their footwork is amazing and some of the best I've I've ever seen in the Premier League. And even when they were losing 3-2, some of the things they were doing with their with, with their ball work was, was I mean, if you if you were neutral you'd just be sitting there like, Oh, this is this is magic. But sometimes they just cannot happen. And and a key culprit is Vincent Company, who isn't a Pep Guardiola. Yeah, I was just about to he's say not that. Guardiola's defender. He wasn't signed by Guardiola. He's a he's a brilliant defender. There's no doubting that. But he doesn't fit Guardiola's thing, and that's the reason why I think United could exploit it. Had Emmerich Lepore been playing, who is not as good as a defender, but I think City would have coped better. And I think the key to doing that pressing against City and unnerving them is having a strong midfield behind. And United don't usually have that. And in the first half, we didn't have that. So when we pressed, City would cut us open. And it happened for the first goal for the second goal and for the two Sterling chances. Liverpool, not the best players in their midfield. Henderson, Chamberlain and Chan was out. I can't remember who was the third one. And uh, James Milner, not the best three midfielders, but very positionally disciplined, um, very compact and strong behind the attackers who were doing the pressing. And United had that in the second half and I think that's why we benefited. So for small teams, if they went, uh, went for it at City and tried to press, they'd probably get absolutely smacked. But if you can be that disciplined and that compact, I think it works. We better move on to our, our youth roundup, though. But before we do, four points clear of Liverpool, the game in hand, four points clear of Spurs, beating City at their own ground from 2-0 down and two goals from Pogba and two assists and a key pass for the first goal from Sanchez. It is It was the perfect day in the end. But 
not just a fantastic weekend for the first team, but also for both the under-23s and the under-18s, which is a rarity for United, to be honest. The under-23s played first on Friday night and needed a win to avoid relegation from Premier League 2 after a woeful season under new manager Ricky Spraker. They faced Sunderland, the team just ahead of United, in second bottom of the table, and things seemed to click in a 4-0 victory, finally. Tahith Chong, United's best player in recent weeks, gave the Reds a lead before further goals from Zach Durnley, Indy Boonen and Joe Riley. A brilliant performance for... A brilliant performance that delays or, or perhaps even stops United's first ever relegation. The under-18s are at the other end of the table, though, and a win on Saturday lunchtime means they now need only one point from two games against Liverpool and City to win the under-18 Premier League North. Mason Greenwood equalised for United against Middlesbrough just before half-time before putting Kieran McKenna's side in front just after the break. He continues his amazing form with that double. He's now scored 15 goals and assisted four in his last 10 games in all competitions and is registering a league goal roughly every 65 minutes. He's 16, an under-16 player playing in the under-18s. Anyway, Borough equalised through a penalty after a stupid challenge from new United signing goalkeeper Mate Kovar, who's highly rated by the coaches, but Dylan Levitt struck a winner after another brilliant performance from him. He and Jimmy Garner in midfield in recent weeks have been superb. They've been playing football together since they were eight. Liverpool and Everpool... Liverpool and Everton both lost on the same day, meaning two challenges are effectively taken out of the picture for United. City could still win the title after thumping Everton for five, but United looked likely to win it, and that will set up a final match with the winners of the under-18 Premier League South, who will be Chelsea now. They look likely. They also need just one point from their last two games. Moving on, Jack. um, Slightly less high profile now um, than the City game. That's over doesn't matter what they do now. We want them to beat Spurs, make it easy for us to finish second. And, I mean, we really don't care about the league now, apart from finishing second, which we should do. Uh, West Brom on Sunday, and then we've got Bournemouth in midweek after that. Should be two very simple wins, especially after this motivation boost. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can put in a good performance off the back of it. It'd be such a shame to have put in such a great second-half performance and then play badly in the next game. Uh, But, I mean, West Brom... Have looked very poor for quite a while now. Um, how far adrift are they at the, at the bottom now? It's they're quite quite far away, aren't they? It's not looking good, and it's hilarious to be honest because Alan Pardew is managing <laughs> them. So I'm very pleased. Yeah, so I mean, ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully we can put in another good performance. I don't expect the toughest of games. Um, Although, having said that, these are the kind of games we always seem to slip up in, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, West Brom are, what, they're six points behind 19th, which <laughs> which is a, a very serious situation. They're 10 points off 17th through Crystal Palace, and um, yeah, not looking good for them. Change of, change of manager, um, and we should be smacking them, to be honest. But Bournemouth present a greater challenge. Eddie Howe has been doing... More good work at Bournemouth. It just ever continues. He's he's eleventh at the moment. Um, and they, I mean, they could penetrate the top half if if other results go their way. They're joint on with tenth, who are Newcastle, although Newcastle have a game in hand and only three points behind Everton. So it could be an amazing season for Bournemouth. But United should be beating them too. Um, so I mean, you just hope that we come out with these two games. We come out for these two games, really going for it, um, because we've got the FA Cup semi final win not next weekend, but the weekend after against Spurs at Wembley. So we just need to carry on a huge, huge, the the biggest morale boost you could possibly hope for. And it needs to carry on predictions for West Brom. We won't do Bournemouth, but prediction for West Brom. We're at, we're at home. Prediction. I would say three, one. I'll take that. Um, I'll go 
No, I'm going to be positive. I'm going 4-1 United. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Sorry we haven't been around for ages. This is Series 3, Episode 28. The last one was our, our Old Trafford episode, which came before the international break. And we've been away for, for various reasons. Um, illness for, for first Jack and then me. Delayed things slightly. And then we've only got round to recording after the City game, which was probably probably a good thing because it would have been very negative before the City game. And now it's probably our, our most positive podcast of the season. So thank you as always for listening. You can find more from Jack before we next record on Twitter at at UTD Tate T A I T, and you can find me at at Harry Robinson sixty four on the podcast itself at at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D at the end there. Thank you as always for listening. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.